Let me begin by saying good morning again, everybody. Good morning and welcome to worship. And I want to say welcome, especially to those of you who are joining us by video right now. Some of you are in our traditional sanctuary or you're joining us online. I'm really glad that you're here. We have some important things to learn together today from the scriptures, some important things to learn about how God breaks through to us and gives us life. We started this series a couple weeks ago. It's called Breakthrough. We're learning to live in the breakthrough of God. We talked the first week about the value of life in the way of Jesus. We talked about the cost of non-discipleship to Jesus. What's the cost of living our lives by our own instincts, by our own power, our own way? We talked about that in week one and began then to engage in the steps that we're taking together as a people, as a church community, to grow in life together in Christ. And last week, we just started with one kind of time-sensitive step that we're taking together as a church. We've been exploring, we've been in a process of contemplating a, a new name for our church family, a name that would help us take a step to communicate more clearly to those who aren't here yet about the character of Christian life, about the hope of God in Jesus Christ that we know here on the inside. And as we talked about that last, last week, I asked for your input, for your feedback after that message, as we have done kind of for six or seven months throughout this process. And I wanted to be open with you and share with you that a large majority of you all across our church family embrace that name and embrace that purpose. And I've told you how excited I am about this particular vision for our future, and that's encouraging, and then we can all be excited about that. But I really want to focus today on something else. And it was something that came in on some of those cards and actually a topic of conversation we've had for a number of months. And that is that what our name is as a church isn't the most important thing about us, of course. Much more important than that, I think everybody knows, is the actual character of our life together under whatever name that is. It's the things that we actually do together, the relationships that we build, the way that we order and carry out our lives together. And so this week, I kind of want to return to that and talk concretely about the ways that we organize our life together. What are the things that we do practically to help us grow in life together in Christ? We're going to talk about what we do and why we do it when we gather together for worship on Sunday mornings, when we gather together in our community life in smaller groups called growth groups, and also in our commitment to serve one another here and as a people to serve those outside of our walls Today, I want to focus especially on our life and community together, on our, on our group's life. I think it's inevitable that we share life together in groups and communities and packs of some kind. It's the truth in all of our lives. I think of myself as being not that different from my dog in a lot of ways. I like to eat the same thing over and over again every day. And I like being around my people. You know, like she's happier with us and we live in our packs, right? Those, some of you who are here right now, you're teenagers. You're in middle school, high school maybe. Man, life together in community is a high-pressure deal for you. I know it's a big part of life. And it's inevitable. It happens. But there's a lot of pressure on you to figure out, am I doing it right? Am I with the people I want to be with? Do they want to be with me? Do I dress like them? Do we listen to the same stuff? Do I know what I need to do? Do I act like them? And man, that community you're part of is super important. It affects the decisions you make, the way that you talk, the values that you honor, kind of your style. It's a big part of life. And I don't know for you, you can say for yourself, but the, is, is the pack that you're with, is the community that you're in, does it help you become a person that you're proud to be becoming? Or maybe not. It could be one way or the other. But we all live life in relationship and community with other people. Now, we do it in our younger years, and adults are just a little bit better at ignoring this. We're just a little bit better at hiding it. But it's every bit as true in our lives. If, if you're someone who goes someplace to work, if you have a job or a place of employment, there are people there and you are part of a community with them. 
And that community or that grouping of people, there are certain expectations and their behaviors and values and character that goes along with those relationships. A, a number of years ago, I was talking with a woman in our congregation who was sharing with me about her workplace. And she said, it's a really hard place for me to work. Everybody engages in all this gossip and mean-spirited talk behind people's backs. And I don't know if she was even wondering, what are they saying about me when I'm not there? Because I know what they say about them when I'm there. And, and that was the temptation that she recognized. It's so easy for me to get caught up in that. And she was really struggling with it and was thinking, I might need to quit this job because it's really destructive to who I am. I mean, we're, we're all parts of communities. We all live in these networks, groupings, packs, relationships, whatever they're called. They're an irreducible part of our lives might happen in, a, in the neighborhood that you live in. Maybe you live in like some sort of community living, some high rise or something maybe. If you happen to be a parent, if you have kids, the community of parents of children who are on sports teams together is like this crazy phenomenon. And it, it has expectations and it shapes the way that you talk and the way that you yell at other people. It's like it's a whole community thing, right? I mean, it happens in all different kinds of our lives in all different areas of our lives. We, we tend, when we think about our lives, we think about ourselves as individuals. We think about what am I like and who am I friends with and what do I want to do and what are my goals and my agenda. But really, we live a ton of our life not as individuals, but in groupings, in communities, in networks of other people. And, and here's what I think. I think life is better when our practice of community is better. And wouldn't it be great if we could form community and if we could be formed by communities that grow in the grace and the love and the hope and power of God in Jesus Christ. Because we're going to be in them no matter what. Whether they're deep or shallow, helpful or unhelpful, whether they're destructive or constructive in your life, whether it's intentional or accidental, you're part of it. And wouldn't it be better if we knew where that was going, understood what it was and grew in the way of Jesus in life and community? Well, fortunately for us, the Bible is full of deep wisdom on this some powerful revelation, truth about how our lives get put together with other people and guidance for how to do it. But we miss it a lot of the time. I think we miss it so much because our assumptions about life are so individual, so much about how do I live my life that we miss what is plainly there in plain sight. So let me show you a couple things that I'm talking about here this morning. And the first one comes from this story of Peter and Cornelius that we've been reading for the three weeks of this series and for the two weeks we've got coming. It's a really important Bible story for all of us to know to shape how we understand life and life with God. If, if you missed some of the beginning parts of this series, let me tell you who these guys are. Cornelius was a soldier. He was a Roman soldier 2,000 years ago, lived shortly, well, at the same time as Jesus. And this episode in his life comes from just after the time of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. And Cornelius is a guy who has been successful. He's risen to a place of command in the Roman army, and he has it together on the outside. But one of the things that we've learned about Cornelius in these last couple of weeks is that he does not have it together on the inside. He's trying to break through to God. He's a seeker after God, but doesn't really know how to get there and doesn't know about the breakthrough of God to him. That's Cornelius. And then Peter is one of the early followers of Jesus. He's Jewish, like nearly all of the early followers of Jesus were. And it's characteristic of Peter that he doesn't care a lot about guys like Cornelius. And it took a vision from God to both of them to bring them together. And that's what we've been reading about last week and this week. 
But I've been calling this the story of Peter and Cornelius. And in doing that, I've kind of been misrepresenting it. I think I've been misleading you a little bit. Because while they are the headline characters, it's not so much just about them as individuals. They're, they're kind of interesting as individuals. Cornelius is easy to relate to. He's got life together on the outside, not on the inside. There are things we can learn from his example. But Cornelius is in this story, and he's important not just because of who he is, but because of the community he's part of and represents. He's part of this whole group of people who are outsiders to the people of God, and somebody needs to care about them and follow along with God's nudging to bring the good news of Jesus to them because they don't think they're welcome, because they don't think they can belong. They don't know how to get there. And Peter is an interesting guy as an individual, easy to relate to in other ways, full of famous blundering mistakes, passion. He charges ahead before he knows what's going on. Some of us know how to relate to that. But Peter is really important in the story because he stands for a community of people, because he's part of this early community, network, group of Christians, almost all of whom were Jewish, and who needed a real hard push by God to care about and realize that there are other people that God wants to reach also. So when we read about Peter and Cornelius coming together, we find out that this is not a meeting between Peter and Cornelius. This is like the, the embassy of one people, a group of them traveling together to meet a group of another people. It is the meeting of communities. And I think it's easy for us to miss that, and we just call it the story of Peter and Cornelius because we're used to main characters and headliners and all that kind of stuff. But it's easy for us to miss this truth, that the, that the biblical vision for life with God, the biblical vision for life in the way of Jesus is really a vision for life together in the way of Jesus. It's a vision for how we live life together. In fact, very little of what the Bible teaches us about how to follow Jesus even makes sense alone. It really makes way more sense when we think about how we do this in relationship and how we live in the character of our community. Let me give you another sort of set of examples to show you what I mean by that. There is a word that appears in the New Testament of the Bible over a hundred times, and if I gave you 10 guesses, I bet you couldn't guess what it is. Because if you came to me blank like that, I wouldn't know either. But it's a hugely important word for describing what the Christian life is like. And this is the word, one another. Are any of you going, Steve, that's two words, hi. <laughs> Math major, are you? Right. <laughs> I know it's two words. But one another translates one Greek word that's super important. The New Testament Bible is written in Greek. And I'm about to go all Bible nerd on you just for a second here, okay? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. We got one cheer. That's awesome. All right. Uh, and it was loud, though. It was loud. All right. Uh, here, let me put some words on the screen for you. The word I'm talking about is alelone. It's the top of the top right there. Could I get you to say that with me? On three, say wherever you are, traditional sanctuary, online, all alone in your pajamas, whatever. Say this with me, okay? Alelone. One, two, three. Alone. There you go. It rhymes with alone. And what we're being taught by the scriptures to do is receive and live life alone with one another, alone, not alone. And by alone, I don't mean in a cabin in the woods like a poet for 30 years with the squirrels and the deer and the trees, right? I mean alone in a crowd. I mean, I, I live my own personal life, and I live it next to you, and I probably even have to talk to you sometimes, and maybe it looks like we like it, but really, I'm about me. We're going to learn to live life alone together with one another and not just alone in a crowd. Let me give you some examples. 
In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, Jesus gives some foundational instruction to some of his first disciples. And some of this may sound familiar to you if you have ever heard from or read the Bible before. Jesus said to his first disciples, a new command I give you, love one another, right? There it is. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can you see how we get to a hundred rather quickly, one another's? This is the sort of character of teaching Jesus gives his disciples. And just a little bit earlier in that same scene, in that same moment, Jesus had done something very practical that he described to them. It was, and we read about it in John 13, 14. Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Okay, everybody take your shoes off. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. No. Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and he gave them this example, and he probably in some way literally meant that they could do this. But I think more than that, it's a symbol, it's a metaphor for humble acts of service shared on behalf of one another in the community. And he, he led by example. As he lowered himself to care about their needs, then he showed them how to do that also, how to love one another. So you have this little chart in your study guide. I forgot to tell you, at the top there, you can write, pull out your study guide that's in your worship bulletin this morning, and there's a place there where you can make some notes as we go along, and we are going to compare life alone to life alone. There we go. Um, so you can write life alone on top of the second column, and you can write life alone at the top of the third column. And then we just read John 13, which teaches us, you can write this down because it's really hard to remember, love one another. Now, what's it look like when we love one another? Here's, what, here's how I characterize life alone versus life alone. When we live life alone, we say, I care about your needs. I'm going to put your needs ahead of my needs. But when we live life alone, what we're saying is, I advance my agenda. I'm interested in my set of priorities. Now, let me just ask you to think about this for a minute, and you don't have to answer out loud. If your life is anything like mine, you will have plenty of examples. Are there any situations in life where you're like, hmm, I wonder if I play this okay, maybe someone will have to do that job so I don't have to. <laughs> maybe we can work this out so that my day winds up a little bit easier, so that I don't get in an awkward situation, so I don't make myself uncomfortable in a way that would benefit or bless somebody else. Right, nobody? Just me. That's what I thought. Right, when we love one another, we say, I'm putting your needs ahead of mine. I'm interested in making your day better. I'd like to see joy and peace and rest happen in your life. I'd like your relationships to be healthy, and I'm willing to lay down my interests in the situation to serve yours. My agenda is not the most important thing in the world, at least for the next half hour. I'm going to try that, right? Now, th this can be a little bit dangerous. It, it can be that you might be in a relationship where you say, I'm going to put your needs ahead of mine. I care about your needs. And that person might go, that's awesome. You care about my needs, and I care about my needs. We have a lot in common. We can get along, right? <laughs> that's the old, all right, all right, enough about me. Let's talk about you for a while. What do you think of me? Right? <laughs> but in Christian community, it's not like that. In Christian community, the way that Jesus leads us is, I put your needs ahead of mine. And the power of Jesus leads our community such that you're putting my needs ahead of yours. And together we grow as a community where we, we grow in life alone, not life alone. Now, let me just say, and this can be true on every line of this whole chart. I might not say it quite so clearly every time, but let me just give it to you right now. This happens because Jesus has done it for us first. 
I've never been in a situation where my heart was in an unloving condition and somebody made me more loving by say, be more loving. Doesn't work that way. Just to get a kick in the pants and say you're not doing it right doesn't usually help change your heart. But this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has laid down his needs for ours. Jesus who took on human flesh when he did not have to and came among us and lived and dwelled among us, came and prioritized the vulnerable and shared the teaching of God and shared the good news of God with those who are far from God, who laid down his very life for us while he lived and as he died so that we would know the goodness and the grace of God in him. He has done this for us. He has loved us. And it is by the love of Jesus for our hearts that we are made loving, that we are empowered to live life alone and not alone. Let's talk about some more ways that that works. There's a verse here in the a book of Colossians. This is a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church in Colossae years ago. And, and this verse, this image became important for me and for a group of guys that I meet with kind of regularly because this image was so clear. It says in Colossians 3 verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. See, you write, you write bear with and forgive if you want to on your chart right there. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. When you, when you bear with someone, does that kind of create the image for you that it does with me? Like, it's not just that, oh, somebody messed up once, but the rest of their life was perfect and everything else was easy. But there's a, there's a characteristic of patience going on here. It, it, sometimes, I think it's easier to forgive someone the first time that they mess up, but then they do it again and they do it again. You have to realize that they're actually not perfect, Right? And when we bear with one another and forgive one another, what happens, and you can write this on your, on your chart here, we grow in grace. We grow in the habit of gracious living with one another. And the alternative to growing in grace in a community of imperfect people, which is the only community you and I belong in, by the way, the alternative to growing in grace is that we grow resentful. We keep a record of wrongs. We count it up. We're like, man, they messed up and they shorted me last week and they were disrespectful to me this week and they're never thinking about my needs and we grow resentful. But I think the reason that we are able to, to grow in the ability to bear with one another is because, you guessed it, that's what God has done with you. That's what God has done with me. I would like to believe that the first time that I recognized I was doing something wrong, I stopped doing it. But then all I have to do is look at my life and find out that's not true. And we grow in a community of grace together, growing in grace rather than growing resentful. Let me take a look at the next one, which is closely related. This is a little verse from the letter of James, and it's toward the end of that letter, James 5, 16. James told the community of Christians to whom he was writing, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So you can write that on your chart if you want. Confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me focus on the first part of that verse right now. You don't, again, don't answer out loud or raise your hand, but let me ask you, do you have people in your life? Do you have a small community or a group of friends in your life to whom it is safe to say, I messed up? I mean, I, I messed this up and I think I hurt somebody. I messed this up and I, I hurt myself. And the reaction to that person will be, let's pray together about that. And 
and they will grow. You can write this on your chart if you want. When we're able to do this, we grow in empathy. I'm sorry, we nurture empathy and we nurture growth. We nurture empathy and we nurture growth. You know, when you're in a relationship where this is a safe thing to do, the way that empathy grows, the way that empathy is nurtured is like this. I, I can't imagine being in a place where you could do this and somebody says, I messed up and I think I hurt somebody. And the reaction is, what's wrong with you? I never hurt anybody. I don't mess up, <laughs> right? Rather, somebody in a trusted relationship exposes their vulnerability to you and you go, oh, that's a lot like me. <laughs> I, I get what that's like. And it even can advance the relationship to another level because you realize that you're in this together. And we nurture empathy for one another. And we also nurture growth because I think those sins in our lives, those places where we've said, I'm going to go this way, even though that is God's way. These are the sins that Jesus calls us to repent from, to start living another way instead. And we can nurture that in our relationships together. We can nurture empathy and growth. But you know what happens when we don't do this? When instead of living life alone, instead we choose to live life alone, we have to simply pretend to be fine. We pretend to be fine. And we live life doing a lot of pretending that everything is just fine and we haven't messed up and we haven't been so bad and things are going great and our relationships are healthy. But we're not fine, are we? No, we need life alone, authentically where we can bring our real selves to one another in a community of Christ together. Did any of you ever see the movie The Italian Job years ago? Like it was a really old movie that was then remade and now I think it's even an old movie again. It was remade 10, 15 years ago. And one person says, yeah, I'm feeling fine. And the other guy goes, you know what fine stands for? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Fine. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should mean when we say I'm fine. We need a place to admit that we're actually not fine, but we can tell the truth about ourselves, confess our sins to one another, and pray for each other. Let me leave you with one final quick set of verses that I think sums this up. In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus told his disciples to be at peace with each other. You can write that in that first blank, live in peace. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, we are instructed, live in harmony with one another. I think this is just a general picture of the character of what community life can be like together in Christ, where we live in peace and harmony with each other. When we do this, life alone, we experience beauty. We experience beauty. I think our hearts are drawn to this. Our hearts know that we are made for this. We resonate with this when it's working right. And I think it even can be a testimony to the world, to those who are like Cornelius, trying to break through but not making their way in, to be able to say, that's good. I'd like to live life like that. We experience beauty. The alternative, life alone, instead of beauty, is we simply sing our solos side by side. Let me give you a personal example. During the hymns and songs that we sing in our traditional and our contemporary services, I'm usually standing up front somewhere. And when I'm singing, the sound that's coming out of my mouth may have very little to do with the sound coming out of everybody else's mouths, I confess to you. And you can do that. It's okay. If anyone else is in that boat, it's okay. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. But I'll tell you, I imagine that most of you are having a lot more fun and it's a lot more beautiful than it is for me. It's okay when we're singing, but we don't have to live like that. We don't all have to do our own thing that doesn't harmonize with anybody else's, doesn't mesh, isn't coherent. Instead, we can live in harmony with one another. This is the sort of life that Jesus calls us to. Life alone, not alone. Now, let me just be real practical with you for a second. 
There are a lot of different ways that we can experience life and connection with other people as a part of our church family or in our life in general, but probably the most powerful environment that we have for nurturing life alone, not alone, within our church is what we call growth groups. Growth groups are groups of about six to 12 adults, and if you are adults that have kids and you're part of a family, your group probably also has kids in addition to that number. Groups that meet together on about a weekly basis, although we encourage growth groups to take about a week off per month for kind of the sake of a doable rhythm, meet together on about a weekly basis to read the Bible together, pray together, talk together, nurture Christian community, and I know this is going to be hard to figure out, but grow together, right? The best way for me to describe what a growth group is like is to maybe just tell you a little bit about my own experience. I've been part of a number of groups here in our church over the last 12 and a half years that I've been here. And in our groups, mostly, especially for the last period of time, we've met in each other's homes. We kind of take turns hosting the group. And uh, I would like to say that we intentionally don't clean up our houses so there's no pressure on everyone else. Your house doesn't have to be perfect. Or maybe that's just me not wanting to clean. I'm not sure. One of those things. But we meet in each other's homes, very low pressure. We make very simple meals so we don't create pressure that people have to throw this big gourmet party when we get together. We eat a meal together. We talk. We share about our week. We support one another in our lives. In, in different areas, or I would say in different degrees of closeness as our groups have kind of gelled over the years, we've enjoyed more of life together outside of our official group times. We've gone and seen each other's kids play baseball. We've visited the hospital sometimes. We've talked through life decisions. We've supported one another's marriages sometimes when we're in a situation where we need to hold one another up in a hard time. In our groups, we read the Bible together. We use the study guide that's in our worship bulletin every single week. I would say that maybe the best single description I could give you of what, what our group does is that we practice being Christian together. Because I think we all need to practice. None of us have this down perfectly yet. Not your senior pastor. I could say either even or especially. I'm not sure, but not me. We just kind of talk through what does it mean to take what we're learning together as a church? What does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus in the circumstances that make up my life. And so we pray for each other and support each other through that. Uh, I would love for everyone to have that experience. I, I would want life alone like this for you. And I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a minute and try to sell you on this, okay? So I know there are a lot of reasons that people are not in groups and it can be pretty legitimate. It's time commitment. I know that everything in life is a time commitment. And as a as church leadership, we've really tried to do our best to make this, to find that sweet spot that's really doable and still meaningful and effective in life. So what we do is when new groups form, we say, we think that you should, you should form a 10-week starter growth group. That way, everybody who's joining it knows they're not signing a lifetime contract. It's 10 weeks, and you maybe want to meet three weeks on, one week off, so you have kind of this doable rhythm. And then when, the, when 10 weeks are up, you know, if you want to, there's an easy off-ramp there. And maybe you'll have formed these relationships. You're like, you know what? Let's keep doing this. This is a good idea. Or maybe you're like, I think I'm going to bow out now. Everybody is. It's sort of like you have to re-up if you want to, and you don't have to. And you might find you just want to try a different group later with cooler people or something like that. It's okay. I understand. That happened to me a lot of times. I'm not hurt. It's okay. Group keeps turning over. It's pretty easy like that. Easy on-ramp, easy off-ramp. And let me address one other thing that I think a lot of people feel, and certainly I've heard over the years, and that's that these growth groups are Bible studies, and maybe you feel like you're not really qualified for that. You don't know your Bible as well as you should. And, and I'm not going to tell you that you do, because probably you don't know your Bible as well as you should. None of us do. But it doesn't have to stay that way, right? Instead, you can be in an environment where you can learn to read the Bible in a low-pressure, practical environment together with other people who don't know the Bible as well as they should either. 
I joked in the last service at our nine o'clock service that people, uh, that all the rest of the people around you aren't Bible scholars either. And then in the hallway, a guy named Mike in our church said, actually in my group, there are two retired pastors. <laughs> and so what do you think about that? And I said, well, I'm gonna tell everybody else that we quarantined them in your group so everybody else is safe. We're okay. All right, all right let, let, me, let me show you something. We organize our ministries here at our church to try to help people find their way into environments like these. So this graphic that I'm putting up here right now, we call this our groups wheel. This is a way of taking next steps toward life alone, not alone. And you may not be able to read all the text right now. That's perfectly fine. It's okay. Um, but can you see that there's an orange section and a blue section? Can you see that? I don't know if you know this or not, but Danny Householder, our ministry intern, can't even see that. He's colorblind. So if any of you are colorblind, there's an orange section and a blue section. Hi, Danny. Hi. And the orange section is all about first steps. If you are newer around here or not, and you're thinking to yourself, I would like to grow in my faith, I'd like to grow in Christ, and I just don't really know what to do next, then after the service, any Sunday, go out to the orange wall. And there are people out there who can help you find an appropriate next step for you. And there's also in that orange area something we call next step lunches that we host every so often regularly throughout the year. Just had one last week, just a great environment to hear quickly about life in our church and find some next steps for you. And then the blue area is about next steps together, especially those that lead into our growth groups. Probably the biggest one that I want to tell you about today is the one that's right at the bottom of the picture, and it's called the connection event. If you have been hearing me and listening to these scriptures today and think, I'm convicted about this and I would like to take a next step toward life alone and not alone, toward life together in Christ, then if you come next week at 1145, right after this worship service, and you can come and in one hour, childcare provided, snacks provided, see how easy this is? We will hope that by the end of that connection event, you'll be able to walk away with a group of people that you can tolerate for the next 10 weeks, right? In a, in a 10-week starter growth group. Uh, and then uh, at the end of 10 weeks, if you want, you can say, that's not for me. I'm going to move on to something else. That's fine. But this is just a real practical next step. And I'm actually tempted to say to you, if you feel like you want to do that, leave the service now and go to the orange wall and sign up. But don't actually do that yet. We do have a few more important things to do that I'll explain more about next week. And then on that group, wheel, I want you to see the end of that blue area says short-term discussion groups. Those are kind of specialized topical groups that whether you're in a growth group or not, that we do from time to time to help learn about certain specific topics and life together uh, in Christ. And oftentimes from those, people who aren't in groups will also be able to kind of form a group together. Now, life alone and not alone is not something that you manufacture or that I manufacture. It's something that the Spirit of God nurtures in us, and then we follow his leading into leading our lives together. And so I want to close this time right now by praying for God's work in our hearts and our obedience to him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you that Jesus himself, your son, didn't consider himself, but rather considered us and became flesh and dwelled among us and put our needs ahead of his to show us what love looks like, to lead us together into a community of incredible love empowered by you. You rescue us from our sinful intuitions whereby we build walls between us, we separate ourselves, we live life alone in a crowd. But you've got a different vision for us, and we pray that you would make it come true. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and in our lives and in our families and in our community to knit us together, to create us for, lead us toward life together in Christ. We pray that you would do this in us, and we pray that you would embolden us and give us the courage to follow where you lead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.